Hello and welcome to the Greatest Games Podcast brought to you by 816 Basketball. I'm one of your hosts, Brian Rosefield, and I'm joined by my co-host, Chris de Blasio. Thank you, as always, Brian. Pleasure to be here with you on the Greatest Games Podcast, a chance for us to catch up with basketball coaches from around the country and have them tell us about their greatest game. Like we always say, it can be their time as an assistant coach, a head coach, a CYO player, or just whatever. Yeah, a player, CYO player, Coach Rosefield. There you go. Just whatever they consider to be their greatest game. Well, Chris, this is the little podcast that could. You know, back on April the 12th, we released episode one with Chris Gaskin from Ridgefield Park in New Jersey. Fast forward to today to episode 50. Can you believe it? Episode 50, and we are bringing out the biggest of guns that we could think of for episode 50 to mark our historic occasion. Coach Eddie Fogler as our 50th guest. Welcome to the Greatest Games Podcast, Coach. Well, thank you, Brian. I don't, I'm, I'm speechless after that introduction. Number 50, <laughs> I don't know if it's good or bad, but uh, nice to be on with you and Chris. Uh, and Coach Eddie Fogler, for those who don't know me well, I'm forever indebted to. He literally gave me my first full-time professional job in this world, and he will always be that person that gave that to me. So I always appreciate that. You're welcome, Chris. I hope it was a wise decision. <laughs> well, see, that's going to be was... my first question for you. Was it a wise decision for you? <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. I'm still here kicking, breathing, right? You work for me too. So, uh, you know, I survived players, coaches, managers, people, secretary, Matt Crivell. Well, you know what? That was, I was, we talked about the questions, coach, and I wanted to ask the question right off the top. I want uh, your best Matt Crivell story. That's what I want. Oh, gosh. Wow. <laughs> or any Matt, just a Matt Crivell story. Well, you know, the, there's not one particular story, but I, Matt called me, uh, I don't know, three, four days ago, or texted, and saw him at a basketball game this past season, whatever. You could say hello to Matt Cradell or speak to him on the phone, and literally 45 minutes later, he has rambled, gone on to umpteen subjects, conspiracies, Oh my gosh, is he a conspiracy, conspiracy, you know, spreader? And you know what? Mac would have write a book of South Carolina athletic conspiracies. He's got them all. I mean, it's amazing. I just laugh. Um, I love Mac. Mac. Mac is unique. I loves the university and loves the state. Loves Columbia. He's one of my favorite people. But he's nuts. <laughs> he's a good nuts. That's the perfect, that's the apt description of Mac. <laughs> Those bad nuts, he's a good nuts. You got to be a little nuts to do what he's done. And I ah. don't know if it's 40 plus years for those that don't know who Matt Cradell is, the legendary equipment manager for the University of South Carolina that everybody around here knows. And you're right, he's just a, a little bit nuts, but he's a good nuts. nuts. I just thought of the story though, Brian, if I might. Please. I the one story that comes to mind, the team we were over in, um, excuse me, an overseas trip. We're either in Spain. I think we're in Spain. You were in Spain. Remember that? I know the story. No, it was when I just got hired and I wasn't on the, I wasn't able to go on the trip, but that's, so we go to Spain and I go, Mac, you going to Spain with the team? So Mac, we need you on the trip. So I have to talk him into even going. So we go and we get there and we practice one day, whatever. 
play, and one of the coaches comes up to me and says, hey, Coach, Mac was up all night last night, literally all night. I go, what do you mean he was up all last night? What was he doing? He says he was doing laundry. Now, Mac, we can't find anybody who took more pride in clean equipment than Mac. And you better keep your equipment where it's supposed to be, whatever. I go, what, is, what are you kidding me? He goes, no, he had to make sure the uniforms were clean for the next game. I said, tell him to come see me or I'll go see him. I forget. I go, Mac, what are you doing? Were you up all last night? He goes, yes. I go, and I can't say it on the podcast, but I said, are you uh, something crazy? I said, Mac, he's a coach. They have to have clean equipment. I said, Mac, they can clean their own SH. <laughs> And and he was like offended, literally in Spain, offended that I told him he didn't have to stay up all night to clean the laundry every night. And he would have done it. And he, what a good guy. What a good guy. Well, I'll tell you, he, he's got a hugely special place in my heart. He was my first real, real boss. And so that type of work, I think, to see somebody in that case going to stay up all night to wash uniforms, like it just – just rubbed off of him into where uh, you and I have talked about this over the years too. Just, just go, 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 go. That's what's what you do. And Mac was a wonderful model for that. He's incredible. Yeah. And the reason why, by the way, you know, over in Europe, the washers and the dryer, the dryers particularly are really, really small. So it takes a lot of time to dry a lot of stuff. <laughs> we had a lot of stuff. So he just stayed up all night, literally all night. I said, Mac, you know, they can they can play in or practice in you know, you know, dirty stuff. So. <laughs> All right. Well, I tell you what, Coach. Let's go ahead and get right into it. You know, right. our, our our format here. We'd love to hear about you. You've had some just legendary stops along the way, but would love to hear about your resume starting out as a player into coaching. All your stops along the way, just for our listeners. Okay, Brian, I, you know, I grew up in uh, New York and was lucky enough to be recruited to the University of North Carolina in 1966. Uh, coach Smith was a young coach back then. He, he was head coach at the university in 94, so it was very early in his career. Larry Brown was one of his assistant coaches, the great player and coach, played at North Carolina, coached Kansas to a national championship coach, the Detroit Pistons to an NBA championship. Larry was an assistant coach. So I spent four years, had great four-year experience in Chapel Hill, uh, left Chapel Hill. Well, I didn't leave Chapel Hill when I graduated. Uh, uh, well, actually, I did, excuse me. I, I went to DeMatha Catholic High School for one year. Uh, well, I've never taught algebra. I was a math major in college, so I guess, you know, Catholic high school said, you could be a math teacher and was an assistant coach and JV coach at DeMatha for the legendary coach Morgan Wooten. Uh, left DeMatha after one year, went back to Chapel Hill for two years, got my master's degree uh, at Chapel Hill as a graduate assistant and then spent 13 additional years as a full-time assistant to Coach Smith. Uh, so I spent 19 years in Chapel Hill, four as a student athlete, two as a grad assistant, 13 as a full-time assistant. Ultimately, left Chapel Hill as head coach at Wichita State University for three years, went to Vanderbilt University for four years, uh, University of South Carolina for eight years as head coach. So when you wrap that all up in a bow, I was a college basketball coach for 30 years, 15 as an assistant, and 15 as a head coach at three different institutions. 
and some great institutions at that. I mean, you just went through the list, just, just unbelievable places that you've coached at. But I, I want to explore the, the Carolina thing. People hear all the time about the, the Carolina way and these things and, um, you know, all the great coaches and players that have been there. Talk about what, how Coach Smith mentored you to then go on to be a mentor to other people because there's so many people that, that played for him and worked for him who then become mentors. Well, that's a very good question, uh, Chris. Uh, Coach Smith is – I mean, I could speak for hours about Coach Smith. Um, as great a basketball coach, and, you know, you could argue uh, – that he's one of the greatest. Well, he's definitely one of the greatest ever. I mean, you could argue that he's in the top one, two, or three college basketball coaches ever. He was a better person. Um, he was someone who could really connect into student athletes, families, because he really was very concerned about their overall well-being uh, in terms of not only developing as a as a basketball player, but totally committed to uh, their academics, to their degree, and then would take it after they left to make sure they had opportunities in, you know, in, as they went through, went to start into their, you know, professional career outside of college, whether it was basketball or business or education, whatever. Totally committed to that, stayed in touch, literally would go to every player's weddings, got to know the wives, the kids, stayed in touch with parents, and it was all from the heart. And the players got to know that. They, they sort of knew it when he recruited them, but they learned and they, they got so much respect for him that ultimately they wanted to win more for him than they wanted to win games for themselves. And when the team lost, they were more disappointed for the co head coach than they were for themselves. And that is rare, rare when players feel they let the coach down and uh, not worry about, you know, much anything else about themselves. So, you know, that's not, that's, you know, I just said that, that, that was pretty easy for me to say. I lived it for 19 years. A lot of coaches or people in, in life can say that to actually implement that and believe in that and take the incredible amount of time to spend with people to get that done from the heart. I don't know. I've never met anybody in my life even close to that high character, that care uh, that a human being could have for others. And I'm one of many, I'm one of a hundred, 150. I don't know. And, and Brian managers, secretaries, the Mac Cradells, didn't matter. And so when there's a reunion of the Letterman uh, in Chapel Hill or something is, uh, there's something they bring all the group back, whether it be for the Roy Williams naming of the court or something when Coach Smith was living, everybody comes back. I mean, everybody comes back, and including those who not actually played, but who were part of the program on the periphery that he thinks are very important. He touched their lives as well. 
two quick things, Coach. You mentioned that you worked for Morgan Wooten. Between Wooten and Coach Smith, they won 2,153 games, by the way. That's incredible. <laughs> I just did some math quickly while I was running my mouth. <laughs> and then uh, with the retirement of Vince Carter, I'm sure you, you probably heard this, that'll be the first time since like 1964 or something that a, a player coached by Dean Smith won't be in the NBA next year. I saw that. That was a couple of weeks ago. I think I read that. Yeah, that's just incredible. Yeah. That was a few good players. Yeah. <laughs> Pretty good coach. It was a lot of wins. Yeah, absolutely. So. Well, that, that genuine care that he had, it, it came through for me as a young coach as I um, had the great fortune to be able to work with you and uh, as, as a student manager, was cutting my teeth, just reading and reading and reading, reading all of his books that are still sitting over here on, on my shelf to, to, to my right. Uh, that, that genuine care was something for me as a young coach that, that I needed because I thought that, you know, hey, I have all this basketball knowledge now. I've been around a high-level college team for a couple of years now. I've got notebooks full of stuff thinking that I know everything there is to know about basketball, but it's about the people that I learned very quickly, very quickly at my first couple of years at Calhoun Academy. And so I'd love to hear more about how you approach that um, because everything that you were describing <coughs> about Dean Smith, I'm thinking like, well, that's coach Boger, that's coach Boger, that's coach Boger. That, that's, that, that's how you treated all of us as managers and the Macardells and everybody in the office. So what, what is it about? Uh, I don't know what the actual question is here, coach, other than how do you approach and how did you approach people throughout your coaching career, your 40-year career? Well, I think, Brian, maybe you're alluding to, well, thank you for your comment, but uh, maybe how you build a successful uh, organization, maybe? Yeah. To some degree. Mm -hmm. um, well, I think, you know, team building, whether it's in business or in coaching, um, is something that uh, I think you got to do naturally as to who you are. I think you do it through your experiences. Um, and so for me, you know, I can't tell you how many times a week and literally probably every day I would say to myself when I was a head coach, what would Coach Smith do? Or what did Coach Smith do? And I think, uh, you know, your training is, is very important as well, but you got to be yourself. I, I think, number one, you have to be incredibly organized. You've got to be able to be very consistent. I think consistency is huge. Uh, for example, if I, uh, you know, let me give, I'll give you an example. If the bus rolls at eight o'clock in the morning to go to the airport and your starting center is not there at eight and the coach waits and kind of pretends it's not eight o'clock and then at 8.01, he get, the kid gets on the bus and you go, you go to the airport. Well, the other players know you waited a minute. Well, next time your best player, maybe he shows up at 8.10. You know, so as you would know, Brian, uh, under Fogler, the bus rolled at 8. I couldn't care less That's who right. was on the bus. That's right. When I, when I was at Vanderbilt after he won an NIT championship, I left my AD. He was late. Bus rolled. His ass was still at the hotel. I left Callahan when I was at Wichita State. I left him in St. Louis. Well, that was a good move. That was, was a good move. <laughs> that was a good move. Um, and, uh, and so, the true story. First game I ever coached as a head coach, Wichita State. My starting center was late. I left him. 
you think I had a player late the rest of the, the rest of the year? You know, I don't think so. And that's just one point, you know, in terms of you got to treat everybody the same. You have to have your rules, regulations. You have to be consistent and fair. And you have to see the big picture. I, I think you have to be willing to lose the battle to win the war. You may skirt your philosophies and your rules and regulations and your commitment to your organization to be successful short term but ultimately if you're inconsistent that will bite you in the butt long term um and then you know and then you got to be around people who believe what you believe now everybody may not believe what you believe at the beginning but if you think there are people who have good values values that you think are important to you as a leader well then you give them a chance and then you you know you talk you visit in the recruiting process for example for me I mean, it's clearly stated if you don't go to class, don't come to play Freddie Fogler because you're not going to make it. I don't care how good a player you are. And unfortunately, that might have happened once or twice in my career. And so those are just some of the things <laughs> excuse me, that I think are important in, in building, you know, an organization, no matter what that organization is about, to being successful. And then the last thing I will say, you have to then let those people who are within your group organization who are doing well, you got to tell them. You know, for me as a coach, I needed to tell my players on their individual meetings, particularly at the end of the year, you know, what I thought from my heart. If it's in business and you may have to fire somebody, I don't know. You may have to put them in notice, on notice. But you need to reward those two and let people know who are doing it well and doing it right that you appreciate it. And if you can reward them in some way, I think that's very important also. So, oh, it's a terrific answer, Brian. You want a better answer than that, Brian? Because I don't have it. I don't. That's, okay, that, good. Chris, that's why he's our 50th <laughs> guest. I mean, that's, listen, that's, we, we yeah. knew what we were doing. Let me know when you're looking for number 100. I'll be back. That's <laughs> right. We can do it. <laughs> Mac Friedel is 100. Uh, let me and Mac, can Mac and I come on at the same time? Or we'll, that would be yes. a reality show. We can I couldn't get yes. a word in, though. We'll listen we'll to Mac's conspiracy theories. <laughs> <laughs> we, have, we have unlimited storage with this podcast. It would be good. We just hit record and Mac, go ahead. Let's go. Mac's conspiracy theories. I'm just thinking. I'm thinking about him telling stories now each time you say that. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. He's right. Uh, coach what is it that i don't think i've ever asked this question what did you and now you got you've been out of it now coaching really for about 20 years but what did you really love about coaching what was it that drew you to it and that you really enjoyed about it for me i know the, the ad's are what you didn't like about it oh i love my <laughs> you know ah, he and i just got along great what, what, what I just described in being a leader didn't fit. Uh, but anyway, I want to go there. It's not May rest in peace. But um, um, what was the question, Chris? Give me the question. What did you love? What did you love about coaching? What was oh, it that you really loved? Well, I think you know. I, I, number one, I think um, the chance to work with student athletes to try to make them better people, better players get their degree, which is really, really important for me, and then see if I could plug in, excuse me, and try to help them find opportunities after they left college to be successful. Honestly, for me, I can't tell you what a kick I get out of 
seeing my former players choke. I'm not, it's just a fact. It doesn't matter. I text John Cooper, one of my former coaches played for me, which I said, I, I text Coop over the weekend. I go, hey, Coop, I need an updated picture of Kennedy and Cameron. He's got a daughter and a son, Kennedy and Cameron, who I've met a couple of times. And I hadn't seen him in over a year. I said, Uncle Eddie needs an updated picture. And he, I mean, he's got gorgeous kids. Oh my God. And I've met him. They're so smart and so vibrant and so personal. Um, I mean, that's really cool for me. Uh, Carrie Rich's son, CJ here plays in Columbia. He's going to be a really good player. I went to CJ's eighth grade games. I've gotten to know CJ and just for me to sit in the stands on an afternoon watching an eighth grade competitive game, by the way, they're pretty darn good. <laughs> um, you know, to watch a former player's son play. Uh, I was in Rock Hill. I've met, watch, I've watched Larry Davis's twin boys play. They're sophomores or, or juniors now. Play for Larry. Melvin Watson has two gorgeous daughters up at South Point and Rock. That to me is my high. Literally, that that I really enjoyed. Um, the other thing about the game itself, as I rambled off on get, watching players become successful, get married, be responsible husbands, great fathers, and just you know, cool kids, was the chat to me to sit and give, give me a couple of videos and a big pot of coffee, close the door and let me look at the opponent. I really, really enjoyed trying to figure out how to plug the system I was coaching into the system of the opponent to see if the system I was coaching without making major changes at all could disrupt the opponent's system to give my team a better chance to win. That was a blast. And then, of course, the game itself was always fun to try to, you know, try to win one, you know, at the buzzer if you were lucky enough to do so. So it's multifaceted. It's a lot going on. You notice I didn't mention the media. You notice I didn't mention <laughs> alumni talks. You know, you notice I didn't mention uh, recruiting particularly. I mean, there's parts of it I didn't really, you know, get excited about. But the players, the preparation, the families, the games were pretty, pretty darn good. Well, I think I've mentioned it a, a time or two on this earlier episodes, but uh, Dave Odom always used to say, he goes, if people understood that I only spend 10% of my day actually coaching basketball, the other 90% of the day is filled up with all these other things that you talked about. He's like, they would be, they would be so surprised. They think we just sit in the gym all day coaching basketball. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, unfortunately, there are many days coaches go to practice at 3 o'clock and they're, they're so beaten up from what they had to do with <laughs> During the day, they're exhausted by the time they get to practice. And, uh, you know, there's lessons to be learned about that, too, by the way. Right. As I, I'm hearing you give that answer, Coach. I remember those times sitting in the back of that team meeting room and, and having you walk in after all the guys were there on time, like you mentioned earlier, and just – I don't know what it was. It's your, your, your energy, your body language, just a little bit different after being around you in the office all day or whatever, running around doing whatever we were doing. And then it was like, that was your respite to just walk in there right before film. Like it just loved being there. And it, it came yeah. Through. yeah. The meetings were fun, were fun, Brian. And, um, you know, there, there's a tone that needs to be set and, uh, the importance of the meetings and, uh, you know, I mean, you know, depending on the season, those meetings could be very different. I mean, my first year at South Carolina, and um, you know, it was a mess. 
you know, I inherited a mess, um, you know, and, you know, at times our team played pretty, pretty much up to their capabilities, but literally, I mean, I'm, I'm not kidding now, literally, I would walk up to a three o'clock, usually our meetings were 2.30 or three, whatever, and, you know, we could have been on a three, four game losing streak because our team didn't have enough talent. And uh, we had some guys who tried pretty hard, but we, you know, we weren't very good. And I literally would walk up to the locker room door at one minute of three for the three o'clock meeting. And honestly, I didn't know what I was going to say in terms of trying to keep them motivated because mm-hmm. they knew too, they're not fools. They knew too that, oh heck, you know, we can't get a rebound against these guys or whatever. So, you know, there are different challenges, different years. And I think, um, you know, I think that it's really important. I'm, I'm a believer that you truly can't be a great coach until you coach a bad team. Maybe a couple of bad teams because you really learn a lot. You, know, you really do. It uh, makes you better in a lot of ways in terms of how you think, how you prepare, how you appreciate winning. Um, and so when I came in 1993, I knew it was going to be a long couple of years. And it was. That's okay. Expecting it, it made me better. Coach, my team was 0 and 17 before we won a game this year, so I know what you're talking about. Not not knowing what you're going to say when you walk into that meeting each day. <laughs> That's hard to motivate 0 and 17. Got to get creative to keep them motivated. <laughs> All right, Coach. Now comes the time in the podcast uh, where uh, we drop our namesake, the greatest games. We want to hear about some of the greatest games you were a part of as a coach. You had said that you wanted to want one as an assistant, maybe one as a head coach. Yeah, I, yeah, I think as a head coach, I think that's a no-brainer for me. Chris was the 1982 National Championship game. It was in the uh, Superdome when uh, the University of North Carolina with James Worthy, Sam Perkins, Michael Jordan – Jimmy Black was the point guard. Matt Darty was the starting small forward, but we had three of the top 50 players in NBA history, beat a pretty good team with a guy named Patrick Ewing, you know, and uh, that Freddie Brown and uh, um, oh, it was Sleepy Floyd was a great player, actually from North Carolina. But that game was in front of um, 62,000 people Largest crowd, I think. I think it topped the Alcindor, uh, UCLA. Elvin Hayes. Elvin Hayes. Uh, game, yeah. I mean, that was. I mean, the first three or four, at first three or of the first five possessions, Worthy went into dunk, and Worthy was into it, man. He he was flying, and Ewing went up and goaltended all three of them just to say, "You keep bringing it." You're not going to dunk it. And, and Ewing was great. Jordan made the winning bet. It was off the charts a great basketball. And I think from an assistant, that's the, that's the one I would pick. Do you realize at the time – I mean, obviously we look back at that game now. It's one of the great games of all time. You talked about the players in it, four of the top 50 players of all time in the game, and you include Ewing from Georgetown. Do you have any appreciation at the time, like how great these guys are that are in front of you? Yeah, I, those guys were so good, yes. Yeah, they were so good, yes. They were so good. <laughs> you know, it's funny. I, um, I was watching <laughs> my digress a minute. We'll go over, you know, I'll, I'll charge you for an hour and a half instead of an hour when you say that. I'm only kidding. Um, I, was, I was on uh, uh, two months ago. I was up upstairs on my man cave. I was on my treadmill. It was in the afternoon. 
and I get a text from Mitch Kupchak, who was a great player at North Carolina, mm-hmm. great player at North Carolina, general, and then a great NBA player, was general manager of the general manager, yeah, yeah. Now general manager of the Hornets, up in Charlotte, yeah. Bobcats, really. He says, you're watching ESPN. I go, no, why? He said, turn it on. So I turn it on, and it's 3 o'clock in the afternoon, they've got the replay of North Carolina, Maryland. Len Bias was at Maryland. Um, uh, Adrian Branch. And we, uh, so I'm looking out there. We got North Carolina. We got, so we got Perkins. Let, let's put this way. Joe Wolf didn't start. He was the 13th pick in the first round. For yeah, I was going to say he played 12 years in the NBA. Was Brad Doherty yeah. on that yeah. team for you guys? Yeah, yeah. It, was, it was one verse two. And I'm, I go, so I start watching and I go, holy, you know what? And I text Mitch right back. I go, is there a little talent on the court? <laughs> this is a general manager of the NBA. And that was one hell of a game. There are many, but <clears throat> as an assistant coach, the national championship. As a head coach, I have to say the one at Kentucky. I mean, I'm not sure it's the greatest game, <clears throat> but it's probably the most meaningful win in terms of it was a regular season SEC championship and beating Kentucky at Kentucky on senior day and beating them twice in the same season. They only had five guys starting who were first-round draft choices. That's it. Just, yeah, that's all. Was that 96? Was that their 96 team that went on to win the title? <coughs> oh, boy, my years run together, Chris, but they were. Brian's just yeah. our research guy. Brian, what year was that? Yeah, I think that's, <laughs> that's, that's, that'd be 96, 97, right? Is that right? Yeah, Coach? I think so. They, oh, okay, they, so the, they, they only went to the national championship game and lost in overtime that year. I don't see that. I don't remember. <laughs> they were so good, and um, that was a hell of a win. Talk I walked up the court after the win like it was nothing. I, sat, I was talking to myself. I go, holy, you know what? We won. <laughs> Talk about going into a game like that, what you're thinking. That that team, Coach Patino, Rupp Arena, you know, you obviously you coming from a place of great history like the University of North Carolina, so you know what basketball means in places like that. Just talk about maybe your feelings going into that game or your thoughts going into that game. The well, magnitude. I, know I knew <laughs> we were good. And I thought if we could control the tempo, keep it, you know, keep it was in the 50s, if I'm not mistaken. Um, because you can't get up and down in, in Rupp Arena. You just can't. Um, and they were deep. Um, so I thought if we could control the tempo, you know, and then, of course, you've got to make shots. You can control tempo. But if the ball doesn't go in the basket, you know, you're not going to score enough to win. So, uh, you know, we kept it close early. We got actually out to a lead. And we kept our poise. And then we made big shots. Every time they came back, we made a basket you know, a crucial basket, you know, to keep, you know, just to keep them, you know, just a little bit away from us and uh, kept our poise, had three great officials. It was a Sunday afternoon national television game, which was huge because, you know, it was the biggest game, you know, in college basketball that day. So we had a very strong crew. Rupp Arena, you need a strong crew. <laughs> uh, and so, um, you know, that, that, was a, that was a pretty special win, I think, too, as, as a head coach. 
your first game, Coach, I want to bounce back and forth a little bit. You, you go back to that first one. You knew how special your guys were in North Carolina, how special Georgetown was. I'm looking at your your first 14 games. looks like that, that 1981-82 season. You reel off 14 wins in a row, starting out with Kansas, ending with Duke. So was there a point in that season that you just knew, or was it preseason, or was it – when was it that you knew, like, wow, we, we really have a chance to be really, really special here? Well, Brian, I'm not sure, you know, exactly when, but obviously when you look at the talent on that team, you know, I knew we were really, really good, and, and Jordan was getting better. You know, Michael as a freshman, um, you know, was obviously terrific, and he was really good in the championship game, but, you know, Michael was a team player. And at North Carolina, you just don't walk in as great as Michael Jordan is and, and become the go-to guy. So it took a while for not only Michael, but other great players that we had to, you know, let it happen naturally. And of course, Coach Smith fostered that, but fostered that in a way that, uh, you know, this is North Carolina basketball. There's never, ever going to be one player bigger than the program, and there never will be. Coach Williams to this day, doesn't matter. There's too many great players before you, uh, but it evolved, and Michael evolved, and and really, Michael evolved defensively as much as he evolved offensively. Michael, Michael had no clue how to guard anybody when he was when he was a, a freshman at North Carolina. He had obviously all the talent to do it, but he got really, really, really good defensively. So our team evolved. We weren't real deep, you know. We weren't a real deep team, so the health issue was also, you know, always is a concern for every coach. But we stayed relatively healthy as well, and. Uh, you know, the, the, uh, the other semifinal, I mean, we beat, um, uh, it was Elijah Wan, it was Houston, Elijah Wan, and Louisville with the McCray brothers. I mean, it was a hell of a final four. Louisville was really, really good. You know, Akeem was terrific. Clyde Drexler and Akeem Elijah Wan were at Houston. I mean, and then we're playing in Houston. And, uh, you know, excuse me, we're playing in, in, in New Orleans. but New Orleans, just down the road, yeah. Very close to Houston. So that was a unique experience. That was. Uh, I, I gotta, I gotta say, Coach, I, I'm a, I'm a New York diehard New York Knicks fan my whole life. I was a Ewing guy even in college, so that game still, you know, that gets me. They had they had a bunch of those games on early here in the quarantine. I don't know if you saw that on CBS when the NCAA tournament was supposed to be on. They were playing some of those. I did, I did not. Chris. And well, when you said when you were telling the story about uh, Mitch Kupchak texting you, I thought that's what it was going to be for one of those, but it. Uh-oh. It was like one Sunday afternoon. I remember someone told me they were going to be replaying it, and to watch Ewing, like you said, Ewing and Worthy just go at it those first couple minutes was just – I mean, that, and there are great players now, but you feel nostalgic and say, like, that was – those guys were at uh, such a level. No doubt. Those guys, you know, and, and that's, that's the era of Ralph Sampson in Virginia. I mean, <laughs> it was oh my great. God. There was a game in Chapel Hill when Virginia came to Chapel Hill. It was a double overtime game, and it was like 98-96 at the end, and the Tar Heels won. And, and you had Jeff Lamp, who was a really good NBA player for Virginia, and you had Ralph. We had Worthy and Perkins, and we had a great team. And, I mean, you had, you had pros playing at an incredibly high level in, in Carmichael Auditorium, seat 8,800, people on top. <laughs> it was a, I mean, it was electric. And – that game, those games that we were talking about, the Maryland-North Carolina game and Coldfield House, those games are as good as any game, any games this year, last year, the year before in college basketball. 
just yeah. as maybe maybe better, probably better actually. Those 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 players today are, would be first round, high first round draft choices today. Obviously, they right? They were great. But yeah, you go through the talent that was in in the league, especially then, and you know even the earlier Maryland teams with Buck Williams in the early eighties, oh, John, yeah. John Lucas, yeah, just just tremendous. Like I, I don't even know if I'd be able to coach any guy; I'd just be watching. Like I would Tom, just be Tom caught. McMillan, Len Elmore. I mean, <clears throat> it wasn't very easy. That league was pretty good. <laughs> and Clemson had Tree Rollins. They go back to the Tree Rollins. Oh, Tree Rollins, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Skip Wise, there you go. Coach, we, we talk a lot on this podcast. We've got a, a lot of high school coaches, and I think we've now got some college coaches that are listening to us. We talk a lot about just the process of, as you mentioned earlier, just being consistent every day, every day, just going to work, going to work, going to work. And if my math is right, Coach Smith started, was it 1961, so 1982, so 20-something years before he gets his first national title. Am I right on that, guys? I'm not sure he was head coach in 61, Brian. I don't think it was 61. I don't know. It was early 60s. I'm not sure. You could probably pull it up on your computer. Yeah, but that that process, that that length of time that it took to to get to that level to win a national title and then to your time – at South Carolina getting the job in, in the early 90s and, and a couple of years to to get to an SEC level, uh, to, to win an SEC championship, to beat Kentucky at Kentucky, um, but doing it the right way. So I, I just I'm, – I'm fascinated by that in this world today where it seems like guys and, and, and girls want to get – just get there, win, win a national title, win a conference championship, but just knowing the value, like you said earlier, just, just, just every day finding good people – finding people that believe in the same things that you believe in and going to work and then to be able to do it. It had to feel good to win a national championship and then to win a conference championship doing it the right way. Well, it is, it's, you know, again, you gotta, you know, you gotta set your priorities. What's important to you, Brian. And uh, you know, my background and, you know, winning isn't everything it's important, but there are other things that, I mean, honestly, you know, going to class and getting a degree and being successful you know, after you leave a university as a student athlete, you know, that's really, really important. That, to me, that's more important than winning. Now, you know, did I want to win enough to keep my job? Absolutely. But I wasn't going to compromise certain values that I had, that I believed in, that I, that I lived, that I was taught, uh, that I knew were, were right and proper to just try to win games. And uh, for those coaches who are going to try to shortcut, shortcut it and, again, try to win the battle, you know, and, 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 and cut corners, and they're not going to win the war down the road. And, uh, you know, and then hopefully your administrators understand there's a process involved. And, uh, you know, and then what's realistic too? You know, certain, certain, you know, places have more resources and better opportunities to get better players. And, you know, whether it be tradition, resources, facilities, there's a lot that goes into it. Absolutely. Uh, Coach, we'd like to end here with a fun question. Okay. Now you haven't been you haven't been on the floor coaching in a while, so this this may be tough for you. But if I ask John Cooper, who I know and we, Brian and I know, and and you know he played for you at Wichita, and I asked uh, Aaron Lucas or David Ross, some of your players there later in your years at South Carolina, what's the one thing they would say Coach Fogler said all the time to us? Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, what I said all the time. 
always play hard, play smart, and play together. Give me a team that can play very hard, that plays with intelligence, and plays unselfishly. The Xing and Oing of the game, whether you play man to man, zone defense, whether you run set plays, whether you just spread the court and drive. If you can play hard, play smart, play together, that will win a lot of games for 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 a basketball team and will take care of a lot of the uh, the X and O of the game. And I believe that was a placard on the back of the team meeting room yes. in South Carolina. Yes. I'm not sure that's what they would say. They probably have they probably have something I wouldn't even think of that's probably pretty damn funny. <laughs> uh, that's what I was uh, looking for. But um I'm you know, why don't you call Coop up or <laughs> Ross or Aaron and see what they say I'd be interested to know. <laughs> it might be a little off color. Could be. Could be. I Could was be. I would you know, I was known to let a few F bombs go every now and then. <laughs> Just occasionally. That's what we'll do. We'll record them and we'll put it up as maybe a paid episode. So it's not just <laughs> readily available to the public. And, uh, and maybe we can donate the proceeds of the Matt Cardell scholarship fund or something like that. We'll have some fun with that one maybe, but uh, there you go. <laughs> well, coach, it's been an absolute pleasure. Just can't thank you enough for right. giving up your time here for the, like I said, the 50th episode, we wanted to go big and, uh, there you go, uh, Brian. Chris and I both agree that we wanted to bring you on. So uh, well, I appreciate you guys having me on. Thank you, Brian. Thank you, Chris. Make sure you mail my check tomorrow for my time. That's yeah, right. No problem. That's Make right. it out to Robin Fogler since her name's on the stand. <laughs> we, we can do that. We're, we're going to have her on for episode 51 so we can hear all the, the inside stories about you. So that's, that's what we'll do maybe. But uh, uh, I appreciate you guys being part of the program when I was coaching. Thank you for your contributions. Thank you. Thanks for having me on, Yeah, well, uh, Coach, we thank, can't thank you enough for you get you gave me my start too, and I'll uh, maybe tell you some stories off the air. I don't want to tell you <laughs> on the air here, but let's go ahead and put a button on this episode for my co-host Chris De Blasio. I'm Brian Rosefield, and thank you for listening to this episode of the Greatest Games. <laughs> <laughs>